Today on the Matt Wall Show, in the most disgusting sex scandal in recent memory, a Senate staffer filmed a gay porn video inside the Capitol. The media doesn't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it for different reasons, but we will today. Also, Hollywood's next great idea is a film that portrays white people as, quote, dangerous animals who have to be controlled and civilized by black people. And the Biden administration is getting ready to tear down a Civil War monument in Arlington National Cemetery. The story gets more outrageous from there. You need to hear all the details. We'll talk about all that and more today on the Matt Wall Show. This Christmas season, don't let the government be the Grinch of your savings. Right now, you can diversify your savings into physical precious metals while stockpiling free silver in your home safe. Don't miss out on Birch Gold Group's most popular special of the year. Now through December 22nd, for every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they'll send you a one-ounce silver eagle coin for free. Text Walsh to 989898 to claim your eligibility now. You can purchase gold and silver and have it shipped directly to your home or have Birch Gold's precious metal specials help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. And they'll send you free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it for yourself or uh, give something with real value as a stocking stuffer this year. Just text the keyword Walsh to 989898 to claim your eligibility with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. Now is the best time to buy gold from Birch Gold. Text Walsh to 989898 and claim your eligibility for free silver on qualifying purchases before December 22nd. That's Walsh to 989898. Madison Cawthorn is uh, not a name that you hear a lot anymore. He was elected to succeed Mark Meadows in Congress when Meadows became Donald Trump's chief of staff in 2020, even though neither Meadows nor Trump had endorsed Cawthorn in the primary. Uh, But that year, Cawthorn became the youngest person elected to the House of Representatives in modern history. And for a while, it looked like he would become, you know, maybe a major insurgent figure on the right, sort of like the conservative version of AOC with a few dozen more IQ points added to it. But then everything changed. And it changed very quickly. Starting around early 2022, Cawthorn began began saying things that were extremely unpopular in Washington among both Republicans and Democrats. For one thing, Cawthorn described Ukraine's government as corrupt. He suggested that we probably shouldn't be writing them blank checks indefinitely. That was a big no-no. You can't say that. Even more alarming to the power centers in the nation's capital, Cawthorn publicly began talking about what he called, quote, the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington. As CNN reported at the time, quote, Cawthorn claimed that he has been invited to an orgy in Washington and had personally seen leaders in the efforts to curb drug addiction doing cocaine. Now, those comments upset House Republicans who challenged Cawthorn, implied that he was lying. And not long afterwards, a coordinated smear campaign began, and it was not subtle. It was as obvious as it could have possibly been. Within a month, Senior political figures in both parties were publicly accusing Cawthorn of insider trading in connection with his promotion of a cryptocurrency. Reports surfaced that he had been uh, driving with a revoked license. It was just uh, this avalanche, all of a sudden, all this anti-Madison Cawthorn propaganda. As NPR reported, quote, Representative Madison Cawthorn is under mounting pressure from scandals ahead of midterms. And indeed, the smears worked. Roughly 95% of House members typically win re-election, but in the summer of 2022, Cawthorn was not among them. He lost his primary. Now, even by the standards of Washington, that's a pretty quick cleanup job. Madison Cawthorn stepped out of line and within weeks 
Within weeks, he was gone. Nobody really asked any questions about who ordered the hit job or what they were trying to cover up. Could it be that this freshman congressman is right and that weird degenerate sex stuff is happening all the time in the U.S. Capitol, right out in the open? No journalist or politician seemed to care about the answer to that question. They all took Kevin McCarthy's word and, and just assumed that Cawthorn must be lying. But this weekend, it became pretty clear to everyone that, yes, Madison Cawthorn was right. The depravity that goes on in Congress is far beyond what most people would imagine or would want to imagine. There's really no way to deny that anymore. And that's because, as the Daily Caller reported, a staffer for uh, Maryland Senator Ben Cardin decided to make a gay sex tape inside the Senate hearing room. The Daily Caller posted an excerpt from the sex tape on its website, which I do not recommend that you watch, but they posted it. And there's no doubt that this staffer, Aiden Maisie uh, Cherovsky, knew that he was being filmed, obviously. Uh, the man he was having sex with was the, uh, the uh, photographer, if we can call him that. And uh, then Aiden uploaded this footage to the internet, noting that it was the same room in which uh, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor sat for her confirmation hearings. And then he was exposed in more ways than one. Um, once that happened, Aiden put out a statement admitting that he was in the video, but saying that only homophobes would be outraged by it. Yes, you have to be a homophobe to object to sodomy in the Capitol building. That's the excuse that he went with. But regardless of the excuse, the reality is that uh, this event is unironically worse than January 6th by, by a wide margin. If our democracy is this sacred thing that we're supposed to treat with awed reverence, as Democrats have frequently claimed, especially recently, then you would think that someone making a gay sex tape inside those hallowed halls of Congress would be considered one of the worst acts of desecration imaginable. Now, yes, granted, the American people get screwed all the time on Capitol Hill, so this may not seem like much of a deviation. This is probably not the first time in that sense that the Senate hearing room became a Senate rearing room, to steal a joke that a thousand people already made on Twitter. But even so, this is uh, still a scandal and an especially disgusting one. And yet, if you rely on the corporate media for your news, you may have missed this story entirely. For the most part, media outlets have refused to cover it, and the few outlets that have covered the story have left out um, a lot of key details. So here, for example, is how one local Fox station reported on this. Watch. Do attend. The United States Senate is being rocked by a sex scandal. U.S. Capitol Police are investigating after a sex tape surfaced online. It showed two men engaged in sex acts inside room 216 of the Hare Senate office building. That's a famous hearing room where U.S. senators have grilled high profile profile presidential nominees, including Supreme Court justices. It's unclear if the tape will be considered criminal conduct, but it may have violated Senate ethics rules. So you notice what's not mentioned in that report. You have no idea who filmed this sex tape or who's in it. For all you know, it could be some random Taurus. And when that report aired, Fox was aware of the Daily Caller's reporting. They could have worked their sources and tried to confirm it. Instead, they just kept it as vague as possible. This was a common theme over the past few days. Some major outlets, including the New York Times and Washington Post, simply chose to ignore the story entirely over the weekend. And it's, for its part, NBC News decided to blame conservatives for the whole situation. And this was their headline. Quote, Senate staffer alleged by conservative outlets to have had sex in a hearing room is no longer employed. I mean, you could not phrase that in a more passive way 
if you tried. So they're making, first of all, conservative outlets the boogeyman in, in this story, implying that uh, they might be lying about it, even though this staffer uploaded this footage to the internet himself. They're also saying that the scandal is only alleged, even though, again, the guy's on video and he admitted it. And he wasn't, he wasn't fired either, according to that. He's just no longer employed. Politico, meanwhile, reported that, quote, Cardin staffer linked to sex tape leaves Senate. That's the actual headline they ran. The dude is uh, merely linked to the sex tape. The sex tape that he's in, that he made, he's linked to it. That's the extent of his involvement. You know, if you hear that, you might think, like, maybe he's a cinematographer. Maybe he's an editor on the project. He's just linked to it. You know, he's in the credits, is all. And again, he wasn't fired. Instead, he merely leaves the Senate. Now, keep in mind how all these outlets responded when Lauren Boebert got a little handsy with some guy in a dark theater. We don't need to go through the example. You remember what the headlines were about that. And that was treated as a major, massive scandal. That was a, that was a massive violation of congressional decorum and ethics. Meanwhile, we have this guy taking off his clothes and having gay sex in the Capitol building on video, and it's treated only as a a minor story at most, if it's a story at all. Now, at this point, you're probably getting the sense that Madison Cawthorn might have been onto something. You know, it's, it's, it's not just that a depraved sex act took place in a Senate hearing room. It's also the fact that major media outlets and political figures are blatantly covering it up. They're intentionally writing their stories so that people reading them won't have any idea what's going on. That's the kind of thing that makes you wonder what else is going on in Washington that you're not seeing. Maybe as Cawthorn alleged, there's a whole lot of degenerate sexual activity happening in Congress. It happened to the Roman Empire in its final days, and now it's happening to us. But in reality, that would probably undersell the problem. Because to be fair to the late Roman Empire, they at least arrested the pagans, and we are idolizing them. Remember that, just to remind you, that this was the scene in the Iowa State House just a few days ago. A satanic temple has set up a display inside the Iowa State House. It's the holiday season, and even secular government buildings display decorations for holidays that are rooted in religion, like Christmas trees and menorahs. For 14 days, the Satanic Temple has erected a display alongside these major religious symbols inside the rotunda of the Iowa State Capitol. Lucian Greaves, co-founder of the Satanic Temple, spoke to KCCI. We're going to really relish the opportunity to be represented in a public forum. We don't have a church on every street corner. Though the temple went through the correct administrative channels to present in the rotunda, the display is getting pushback. One, I hope people realize spiritual warfare is real, that there are evil, satanic um, forces that are trying to infiltrate our state. And not just the state, as we've seen. Now, as you heard on this show, a Christian military veteran named Michael Cassidy tore this satanic display down. Uh, He was arrested for it and charged with mischief. And on social media, you find, as we talked about last week, you find a lot of conservatives defending Cassidy's arrest. They'll say that they don't like the way this satanic idol was established in the middle of a a government building, but they'll insist that uh, the only reasonable way to remove it is through the legal process. They say conservatives should play by the rules of whatever bureaucratic system decided it was a good idea to allow this display to exist in the first place. They'll suggest that the First Amendment guarantees the right of these cultists to have their little display. Now, first of all, just as a factual matter, as we covered, that's not true. 
If you showed any of the founding fathers this satanic goat head, they'd destroy it immediately. That's because Satanism was understood for most of the world history as an anti-religion. Indeed, it was understood that uh, that way for, for most of this country's history as well. It was the polar opposite of what the First Amendment respected. It wasn't until 2019, very recently, that the U.S. government decided to recognize the satanic temple as a bona fide religious group. So this is something of a new idea, the idea that religion means whatever degenerates claim is a religion. Or in fact, religion is something that mocks religion is also a religion. But more importantly, whatever the First Amendment or the founders say, uh, here's a, a more important law than, than even the First Amendment, which is natural law. This goes back to Plato and Aristotle. It's rooted in Catholic, jurisprudential, philosophical tradition. And it transcends whatever bureaucracy exists in Iowa that allowed this satanic idol to be erected in the, in the state house in the first place. It transcends lawfare and endless litigation in federal courts. Natural law builds Western civilization, not bureaucrats in Iowa or left-wing district court judges in San Francisco. Satanism is an affront to natural law. It's maybe the most explicit affront to natural law imaginable, and Michael Cassidy understood that. The only thing that's surprising about what Michael Cassidy did is that he didn't have a lot of accomplices. Why was he the only one who decided to take this thing out? And what we're left with, just to recap, from this past week alone, Democrats have put up a satanic altar in one Capitol building and recorded themselves being sodomized in another. And that's just in a week. But none of this is particularly surprising given what we've seen in Capitol buildings all over the country all this year. A few months ago, they were marching through the Tennessee State House with bullhorns, barging into other state capitals as well, waving rainbow flags. The White House raised a so-called pride flag as well. So did several other state governments. Let's watch. The rainbow colors of the pride flag are waving over Beacon Hill. The Pride Month ceremony kicked off at the State House this morning. Governor Maura Healey, the state's first openly gay governor, was there with lawmakers and members of the LGBTQ community. The governor says she is ready for this weekend's Pride Parade. Raising the pride flag today sends a message for all those who've only ever wanted to belong who've had to find their own family. City of Albany celebrating the first day of LGBTQ Pride. Albany officials in the Capital Region Pride Center marking the day with a rainbow flag raising at City Hall. We need to ensure that we are allies. So when all these uh, pride flags and trans flags went up, we were told it was just about love and respecting one another. You know, and we're supposed to believe it's just a coincidence, I guess. They're putting up all the pride flags, and now they're having gay sex literally inside those same buildings. They're also putting satanic altars up. But if you draw any connection here, you're obviously a bigot. You want to incite division. Now, as for Madison Cawthorn this weekend, he tweeted three simple words. He wrote, quote, I told you. And indeed, Madison Cawthorn did tell us that degeneracy was on the march. And now it's all around us, especially uh, thanks to the Biden administration. I mean, there's Sam Brinton, the cross-dressing, luggage-stealing, nuclear waste expert, the guy who had a confessed dog fetish and like dressing up in leather bondage gear on camera, and yet was given an important position in the administration along with a high security clearance. Then there's the trans activist who went topless at the White House at Joe Biden's invitation. Then there's Rachel Levine, the fake admiral and child mutilation enthusiast who makes a mockery of women every time he appears in public. All of these indignities are brought to us by the party that tells us, they're, tells us they're returning decency to the ballot. 
They tell us they care deeply about the inner sanctums of democracy while they're filming pornos inside them. None of this is an accident. Consider the fact that, as Andy Ngo recently reported, the uh, Senate staffer in that porn video, Aiden, has posted a lot of pornographic videos online going back several years. These are videos where his face is clearly visible. The accounts are clearly his. So none of this was hidden at any point. But Ben Cardin hired him anyway, kept promoting him. Nobody thought it was a problem for all that time. We know that Washington, D.C. has been Sodom and Gomorrah for a long time. But the point is they've never been so brazen about it. And they've never been more empowered by both political parties in Washington. And that means we're probably going to see a lot more of this kind of thing, which is disgusting and nauseating and sickening on many different levels. But at least there's no denying the truth now. We are a country run by depraved pervert lunatics. We might as well face the fact. It's hard not to face it when it's standing exposed right in front of us or kneeling on all fours, as the case may be. Now let's get to our five headlines. The new Stopbox Pro is the leader in rapid access firearm security that does not use batteries or electronics. If you're on the fence about getting one, you can now get one for free. The Stopbox Pro is the latest evolution in secure handgun storage. It's proudly made right here in the USA, building on the trusted foundation of the original Stopbox. The Pro is larger, more robust, and even more versatile. But the real genius of the Stopbox Pro lies in its patented hand gesture code lock. Security doesn't mean inconvenience. That's the principle behind the Stopbox Pro. It's sleek, portable, discreet, ensuring your firearm is safely stowed, yet always within reach, whether you're at home or on the go. Stopbox Pro is offering a buy one, get one free deal on, on their uh, new Stopbox Pro. On top of that, if you use discount code MATT at checkout, you get an additional 10% off. So head on over to stopboxusa.com right now or click the link below and ensure your firearms are secure and accessible when it matters most. That's stopboxusa.com for their incredible discount of buy one, get one with an additional 10% off with code MATT. We begin with this from the Daily Wire. A school board member in Virginia took his oath of office with his hand not on a Bible, but on a stack of books containing graphic depictions of gay sex. Noticing a theme here, unfortunately. Carl Frisch, who will become a chairman of the Fairfax County School Board, swapped the Bible for books including Lawn Boy, Gender Queer, and Flamer. His male partner held the books as he placed his left hand on them and uh, his right hand in the air. Uh, Frisch's campaign said on a website, his website, he was sworn in on a stack of five LGBTQ-themed books, most frequently banned by other school systems. In September 2021, nearly all Fairfax school board members, except Frisch, fled the dais as uh, mother read passages from the books. And then we get, I'm not going to read the passages myself, but myself, but yeah, this report, just so you understand what these books are. Um, the ones that he decided to be sworn in on. There, there's some excerpts that, again, I'm not going to read. Um, but they're, they are quite graphic. Court continues, Frisch does not have any children, so his interest in schools is unclear. That's generous. Doesn't have any children. So you've got a guy who's a, a big fan of uh, gay pornography, apparently. Uh, really wants to be involved in the school system. You might start connecting some dots there about what his interests actually are. Um, 
Interest on clear, except as an avenue for LGBT activism and to advocate on behalf of staff as opposed to the people uh, staff serve. His partner is a choral director for the school system. Frisch is a Democrat campaign consultant from California and has few roots in Virginia. So he's got no, you know, he's really he's from California, no real roots in, in Virginia, doesn't have kids, and yet he wants to be serving on the school board, which is already a problem. Like that's, that's problem number one before we even get to the uh, gay porn. And I, and I do hate that we have to continue the uh, gay pornography theme here. It's never a good sign when the first two stories on the show are related to gay sex. But this is, um, uh, that's the way it shakes out today. And, and, you know, this particular story, I would say, is actually a positive development in a certain sense. Because this represents a level of honesty that we haven't seen from these people yet. Um, and we're only just sort of start starting to see. Is it when we have a school board member saying that that basically gay porn is his Bible, you know, it's his guiding light, his uh, his foundation. Gay porn distributed to children is the most important thing to him. That's what he is apparently announcing. And it's good that he's announcing it. Because he's saying yes, he is a degenerate freak, a pervert, a depraved clown, a disgusting reprobate. Um, given his interest in these, uh, in, 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 in this material and in having it in the school system. He's saying yes to all of that proudly. Um, and it's good that he's saying yes proudly because it, it makes the choice clear. And there has been more and more of this recently. We just talked about some of it, this, this clarity, right? These moments where the distinction is obvious, even to the most oblivious people among us. Now, you really shouldn't need to see a school board member getting sworn in on a stack of gay porn to know that these leftist school board members are sick, reprehensible scumbags who shouldn't be allowed within a thousand feet of a school, much less should they be allowed on the school board. But some people do need it explained to them this way. Um, and, uh, and, and so now it's explained. And you see that it's a simple choice. Do you want your school's to be run by people who have a religious reverence for gay porn or not? Um, is this what you want for your kid? I mean, would you even let your kid alone with somebody like this? Would you let someone babysit your child if you found out that that same person once took an oath on a stack of gay porn? Would you let that person babysit your kid? You wouldn't. So the, the line between the good guys and the bad guys, it couldn't be more clear. I mean, honestly, culturally speaking, it's, it's never been more clear. And I know there's a lot of people that like, to, even people on the right, who like to say that, well, you know, both sides are the same these days. It's a lot of gray area. You know, when, when you look at, at, the, at the, on the political level, especially national political level, you look at the establishment of both parties, Yes, it's, it's hard to distinguish between the two because they want the same things. And the names that they, the letter next to the name means very little in terms of, uh, of, you know, of who they really are. But culturally speaking, from a broader, broader cultural context, left versus right, um, it, there's, there's never been a more clear, more stark division. And even if you don't have 
Now, as far as I know, this is the first leftist school board member to be sworn in on a stack of gay porn. So most of them are not doing that yet. But the idea that this material should be in the school system, you know, these particular books, what is it, genderqueer, flamer, lawn boy. And again, if you, if, if you, if you don't, if you've never seen what's actually in these books, I, I, could, I can't really recommend that you go look it up because it's quite disturbing. But you should understand. Just so that it's not, this is not ambiguous for you. Um, uh, that, that you know, when, I, when I say that these people want to put actual gay porn in schools, it, this is not an exact, it's not hyperbole, okay? That's literally what they want and what they have already done. They've put this stuff in the schools. So sure, uh, most left-wing school board members are not going to be sworn in on a stack of gay porn, but almost all of them will absolutely insist that this stuff should be in the schools, and it's not just left-wing school board members. On the left, jet, I mean, ask Joe Biden, he'll tell you. This is a mainstream position on the left. That not only should this stuff be in the schools, but if it isn't, if you take it out, then you are no better than a Nazi burning books. This is a, it's a Nazi book-burning session if you take actual gay pornography out of the school system. So this is another area where the the line could not be more clear. Like, do you think it's okay to have gay porn in the schools or not? <laughs> it, it it's there's there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. It's not a well. It's yes or no. And and if if you can't automatically say no, it's not okay, then then like you're an evil person. You're just you're one of the bad guys. And uh, so at least we have people like this who are. Again, making that dividing line very clear for all of us. And uh, you can make your choice accordingly. All right, there's a new movie coming out called, this is what it's called, The American Society of Magical Negroes. That's the name of the book, movie rather. Uh, I want to show you a clip of this trailer, which uh, has gone viral for all the wrong reasons. Let's watch it. I know you can feel their discomfort, Aaron. Watching you walk through a room full of white people was the most painful thing I've ever seen. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to take you to a job interview. There's a recruiting class starting right now, and we got to get you in it. Welcome to the American Society of Magical Negroes. So I don't really understand. It's easier to show you. What's the most dangerous animal on the planet? Sure. White people, when they feel uncomfortable. White people feeling uncomfortable precedes a lot of bad stuff for us. That's why we fight white discomfort every day. Because the happier they are, the safer we are. Um, that's real, apparently. That is actually a real thing that they're making, uh, have already made, I guess, and will be coming out. And that's the plot of the movie, basically. The premise is that white people are so volatile and violent that black people are constantly having to appease them in order to uh, keep the peace. That's the whole point of the movie. That somehow white people are dangerous and black people are always walking on eggshells in order to not offend, not offend or upset them. This is, this is the premise of the film. 
Um, now, okay, first of all, obviously this movie is absurdly racist. Obviously, you're not going to see a movie where black people are called dangerous animals. I mean, they put that right in the trailer. White people are the most dangerous animals on the planet. This is not subtle. I mean, this is not subtle anti-white racism. It's just, this is full-on dehumanizing, calling them dangerous animals. Um, And you're not going to see that in the reverse. Obviously, a a whole plot about how white people have to civilize black people uh, is just not ever going to exist. It's not going to happen. And this movie can only exist going one way. Um, It's also just as obvious that the film will be a flop. Because who is the audience for this? Like, the the audience is going to have to be racist black people and, and, uh, and I guess, woke white people who want to impress racist black people. So racist black people and the very woke white people who want to impress the racist black people. But you probably can't even, come to think of it, you probably can't even get the second group. The woke white people, they're not going to come and watch this because, because, first of all, they're, they're not going to want to say the title, right? So, like, they're not going to feel comfortable going up to AMC and going up to the guy, the cash register, who, who could very well be a black guy, and saying, "Yes, I'd like two tickets to the Magical Society of or the Society of Magical, uh, you know, the that one. What was that? What did you want to uh, the Society of Magical uh, uh, Colored People of Color? So." It's a movie that only woke white people would see, but they definitely won't see it. So you're left then with racist black people as your sole demographic, except that you actually need racist black people with bad taste in movies, um, even more so. And I don't know what percentage of racist black people have bad taste in movies. I'm not really sure. But you, you, so you, you've, taken a, you've taken one relatively small demographic and then a, a, a smaller demographic within that demographic and then an even smaller demographic within the demographic within the demographic and it's just probably not going to translate into a blockbuster film. I don't know what the financial projections were for this film, but there's no way they looked at the script and said, oh yeah, this is a $300 million movie. We're making $300 million on this thing. But of course, they're not trying to make money with this film. Um, they also aren't trying to tell a good story or make a quality movie. And that's the odd dynamic that you see in Hollywood now. See, I mean, it used to be, that Hollywood would put out some movies just for the money, just for the profit, right? The big tentpole blockbuster films. And then they'd put out other movies for the artistic credibility. Uh, films that probably wouldn't make a lot of money, but they'd be critically acclaimed and people would, would like them. And, and, you know, and, uh, and they'd win some awards. And you can build your reputation that way. Um, and that's the way that, that movie studios used to work. You had, you had movies that were supposed to make money, and then movies that really weren't supposed to make money, or at least were not expected to. Well, now you still have movies that are supposed to make money, and that are only designed to make money. Those, those are the superhero movies. And then you have also have movies that aren't supposed to make money. But the difference is that the movies that aren't supposed to make money also are not made for artistic credibility anymore. Now they're made for political credibility. Which means that even your low-budget films, and, and your films that don't make money are also soulless and cynical, just like the big blockbusters are. So it's all soulless and cynical all the way down. And, uh, and this movie clearly is. 
But the main thing here is just the is just the the fantasy land scenario that the left plays in when it comes to racial issues and and when it comes to really any issue, but especially on racial issues. Now, obviously, the whole movie is a, a fantasy movie. It, it has magical in the title. But, it, but it's also obviously supposed to be saying something about reality. And the thing that it's saying about reality is just absolutely ridiculous. Like the idea that black people are walking around all cautiously around white people because white people are, like, are likely to lash out violently. It's, it's just, it's absurd. As if a black person ends up in a, you know, is like driving and ends up in a white suburb and he's lost or something and he sees that he's in a, a suburb and he kind of locks the door and rolls the window up. Oh no, we're in the suburbs now. Look at all these white middle-aged women jogging. I'm nervous. I got to get out of here. It just doesn't happen. I mean, they, they've created this fantasy land, this upside down, oppositeville scenario which is always the leftist strategy, um, which is not to tell little lies. I mean, they tell little lies too, but but it's not so much the little lies. Uh, they tell really big ones, and they completely deny the most obvious realities. They rewrite reality right in front of our faces, and they and they create this reality that that it, that does not comport with anyone's actual experience. We hear so much about lived experience. Okay, that's that movie. That's not anyone's lived experience. Um, but this is what they do, and they insist on they rewrite it, and they insist on the rewrite, and they insist that we all accept the rewrite and and pretend to believe it. And I guess the idea is, if you pretend to believe it for long enough, then you really start to believe it. Those white, woke white people I was I mentioned, they're not going to go see this movie, but. Um, they will, you know, they'll see the trailer, and they'll at least pretend that the premise makes sense to them. They'll say, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. The white people are the most dangerous. You know, black people are always having to calm us down and stop us from lashing out." Like they'll pretend that they that the premise resonates. And I don't know. You pretend enough, eventually, do you do you fool yourself? Maybe that's the way it works. All right. Most important story of the day, I think, here is the New York Post. Um, it's official. The elf on the shelf trend has gone too far. Keeping kids entertained during the festive season can be tough. And just like many other parents, mom of two, Cece, has turned to elf on the shelf to bring in the laughs. Every evening, the American woman was committed to outdoing herself with a new setup. One day, she left the elf in a pair of underwear stuck to the fridge. The next uh, the elf cut up her kids' T-shirts in a cheeky prank. So on the sixth day of the tradition, she had an idea to outdo them all. In the now viral clip, she shared uh, her creative vision, and it left people stunned and feeling disgusted. Standing in the bathroom, Cece ran the bath and held out a plastic bag. Inside was a school of tiny goldfish swimming rapidly inside a bursting and bursting to get free. With the help of her husband, they cut open the bag, emptied the fish into the bathtub, um, and then, uh, and then they set up the elf like the elf was fishing. And there was a sign that said, don't mind me, just fishing. And that was the setup. And anyway, people are upset and outraged and they're saying it's animal abuse, abusing the, the goldfish or whatever. Uh, I think we have that video. Here it is. We'll watch a little bit. I don't know why. 
All right. Okay, let's see. How's you doing? Did you really need three? Pe- Did you need three hands to open up to hold the bag of goldfish? Um, now, look. I know that you all are probably expecting that I will have a really cynical and negative take on the elf on the shelf thing. And you're right, because I do. Uh, I hate it so much. I don't care about the goldfish. I'm not offended by that particular example of the elf on the shelf thing. Uh, in general, I hate it. I, I hate it. I don't think I hate, I might hate it more than I hate anything on earth at this point. Now, granted, I have a personal grudge because, you know, you have to understand six kids Right? And you might think, oh, okay, well, you have six kids. You must have one elf for all the kids to share. One elf that moves around every night. And all the kids share in the wonder and merriment. And all the kids say, look, our one elf has moved. Amazing. Nope, not in my house. That's not how we do things in my house. We have six elves. Six elves. Each kid gets their own elf. That's what was decided. I didn't decide it. But it was decided. And so every night, six elves have to move. Six. And the thing is, you know, here's what I thought. I thought, well, at least our, some of our kids are getting older. Uh, and, and the kids will age out of this elf thing. And, then, and so then we could start paring it down a little bit. Nope. Wrong again. Because our oldest two, they don't even believe in the elf thing anymore. And they, they know what's up. They still have an elf. So, because, you know, and our youngest two are babies, and they don't understand. They have elf also. So, we have six elves. And no, actually, we have more than six because we also have um, the elf. Some of the elves have pets. Did you know that was a thing? A couple of the elves have like dogs. So, you you move the, the elf and the elf dog. And here's the problem with the elf on the shelf the first few nights, parents have fun with it. Right, they're on night six and they're doing the goldfish. Where do you go from there? What, what's your plan next? It's like you're one up. Every night it's more elaborate. And then what? When you get to night eight, it's good, you're gonna have a drop off. No, you gotta keep getting more. But it's 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 it, it has to end somewhere. And so the first few nights, parents have fun with it. Some of them do. But then quickly it becomes a chore. It's like this chore you have to do every single night. And, uh, and, you know, my, my wife now at night, she's like, oh, man, I have to move the elves again. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have to. This is not, this is not a, a thing we had to add to our lives. You could just not do it. We could be free of this. This totally useless and pointless chore that we have complicated our lives with for no reason. But it gets better because the kids are really excited about the elves every morning. So that means that they wake up at the crack of dawn every morning in December to come down and see where their elves moved to. Now, when I was a kid, my parents had to deal with that, with the kids waking up excited at the, you know, before dawn one morning in December, on December 25th. We do it every morning for the entire month. And now we're stuck because once you get into it, you can't get out. You're like, it's like, it's like making a deal with a drug cartel or something. It's like, it's like borrowing money from the mob because once you're in it, you can't get out because then, and when I've talked to my wife, I said, well, let's, let's just not do the elves this year. And then I'm told, well, we can't, 
we can't not do the elves because then we're going to have to tell the kids. What are we going to tell the kids? That the elves ran away? They, they were abandoned by their elves? Like the elves are magical. They just show up. That's the whole deal. So how do we explain to them if the elves don't show up? Do the elves hate them? Did they do something wrong? What do we say to them? Well, I know what I would say. I would just say, listen, kids, the, the elves aren't real. Come on. Like, obviously, <laughs> these are toys. That's what I would say. But we can't say that. So uh, this is what our lives become for all of it. It's, it's not even Christmas anymore. It's, it is the elf month. The, whole, the elf takes over the whole thing. I'm not bitter about it. I'm a little bitter. Let's get to uh, Was Well Strong. Are you one of the millions of American men and women dealing with premature hair loss? Maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it runs in the family. Well, there's a real solution. It delivers on its promises without the harsh side effects, unwanted chemicals, or a need for a prescription. Provia uses a safe, natural ingredient called Procapil to effectively target the three main ingredients of premature hair thinning and loss. Provia delivers nourishing nutrients to support healthy scalp circulation and stronger hair follicles. Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower or on your comb. Effective for men and women of any age, Provia is safe on colored, treated, and styled hair. Right now, new customers save over 50% plus free shipping on Provia's introductory package at proviahair.com Walsh. Every package includes a full six-day supply of Provia serum, for daily use, plus the Provia Super Concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. Every order includes uh, your choice of a free gift right now. Provia works guaranteed or 100% of your money back. Don't wait. Order now and save an extra 10% off just in time for the holidays at proviahair.com Walsh. It's proviahair.com Walsh. Apache says, Matt, I love you, and I'm part of the Sweet Baby Gang, but I really don't understand your idea of raising your kids without phones. To make it fair, let's make it so that parents who don't let their kids have phones also can't have phones or internet access at all. Um, well, no, that would not be fair because uh, they're, because I, we're adults and my kids are kids. So there are actually all kinds of things that, that I have access to in my home that my kids don't have access to. Like, uh, I don't know, like the butcher knives and the bourbon and lots of other things that, uh, that, that, that I can use and that my uh, kids cannot. So we, we, we just put the phone in that category. And it's not that, my, that I'm raising my, our kids without phones. That's not true. I mean, they, they are fully familiar with phones. They have used phones. They have talked on the phone many times. Uh, grandma calls and wants to talk to them. They talk, you know, so, so they're, they're, they have, uh, are quite familiar with, with phones. Um, so it's not really raising my kids without phones. It is raising my kids in a way so that the phone does not become the central focal point of their lives, which for millions of kids in this country is the case. So if you don't raise your kid without a phone, quote unquote, to use your phrase, um, the other option is that your kid, the, the phone will become the focal point of your kid's life. There really is no third choice. I mean, the only third choice would be um, a dumb phone, like a flip phone that only makes phone calls, has no internet access, has no games or anything. And uh, yeah, okay. If you give your kid a phone like that, and I, you know, and I don't, I don't really object to that. Um, and if you give a kid that kind of phone, then the phone's not going to become the focal point of his life. But, you know, when it, when it comes to smartphones, 
If you give that to your kid, it will become the central focal point of his entire life. Uh, and there's like no exceptions. It's just, it, and when you give the phone to your kid, you are, you are deciding that. You might not be, you might not think of yourself as deciding that, but that is to decide. You are saying, here you go, Junior. This will be your life now. Run off. And um, I, I just refuse to allow that. Jim says, um, quoting me, the founding fathers wouldn't have accepted this. He says, honestly, we don't need to ask people who've been dead for 200 years for advice in every single part of life. Uh, I actually agree with you on that. Um, for me, it's, it's like the fact that we shouldn't have satanic altars. I mean, this is, that's what I was referring to. The fact that we shouldn't have satanic altars in Capitol buildings, the, the reason that we shouldn't, it's like the fact that the founding fathers would have objected is not the, are the top reason. It's like reason number, you know, it's, it's, it's worth mentioning only when people start quoting the First Amendment, which the Founding Fathers came up with. So then, so then at, at that point, I think it's relevant to uh, rebut that by saying, well, okay, but they obviously were not intending to protect the right to set up a, you know, a, a severed goat's head and a satanic altar in a, in a state house. But generally speaking, yeah, I think we can use, you know, things like our own common sense, our own moral intuition, um, you know, I, I, I refer to those much more often than I refer to like what Thomas Jefferson said. And finally, Devin says, we know what is good and bad because everyone knows it. Didn't everyone know Christianity was bad when it was just starting out? You can't just appeal to the obviousness of any particular case. There should be a standard. I think it should be displays only at the local level. Sure, you need standards. You need laws written down. You need all those things. I'm not advocating against it. But you know, we are. I am talking about natural law here, basically. Um, and, and, and the basic kind of moral intuition that's written on all of our souls and that we all recognize. And, and, and you might say, well, you can't appeal to that. One way or another, you're going to end up appealing to that if you want to argue in favor of any proposition, like any legal, any law, if you want to say that anything should be allowed or not allowed, and then people start asking you why, it doesn't take very many whys until you end up back at our universal moral intuition that's written on our souls. Eventually, you end up back there. And like I said, it doesn't, it's not that many moves before you, you end up there. So like you could play this game pretty easily. You might say, uh, murder should be illegal. Nobody should be allowed to do that. Why? Well, because when you murder someone, you're, you're killing them. Well, why is that wrong? Well, because you're hurting another person. Why is that wrong? Already you've made it to like, well, because, because it is. Because it's, it's objectively evil. And we all know it. Eventually you end up back there. And I know the kind of libertarian position is to all, you know, you want to stop the, con once you get to the point, you know, you want to say that the only things that should be illegal or that are really wrong legally are the things that hurt other people. And then you want to stop it there. So if you can prove that something hurts someone else, then you want to end the conversation. But you're ignoring the next question, which is why does it matter if you hurt someone else? 
You can't ignore that. And, and, the, and if you try to blow, blow, brush it off and say, well, come on. Well, that, that is you appealing to exactly what I'm talking about. You're basically saying, well, of course that's wrong. We all know that that's wrong. So one way or another, you end up back there. And um, my only point is that that's not a bad thing. And, and there are things that we all just know are wrong. That doesn't mean that people don't do them. You know, that doesn't even mean that, 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 that governments won't try to come up with ways to, to, to come up with legal versions of them. Like murder, for example. Many societies have had their legal versions of murder. We have one. It's called abortion. But still, that's just people trying to get around what they recognize to be true. And even when we legalize forms of murder, we don't, we don't call it that. We try to say, well, yeah, of course murder is wrong, but this is not murder. And we come up with some arbitrary reason why it's not. But there is that sort of objective reality of the evil of this act that we do all recognize. And, and, um, uh, and that is, a, that is, that is a, a fact of existence that we should be able to cite and use in arguments. Christmas is only one week away, and if you're searching for the perfect gift for your family, or your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, or even yourself, we've got you covered. Daily Wire Plus annual subscriptions are 30% off. That's uh, one year of unlimited access to ad-free, uncensored, exclusive content from all your favorite Daily Wire hosts for 30% off, along with on-demand access to groundbreaking entertainment and documentaries leading the charge in the culture war. Trust me, you don't want to miss out uh, what we have coming up in uh, 2024, like Mr. Bertram, the hilarious animated series with a star-studded voice cast featuring Adam Carolla, Roseanne Barr, Megan Kelly, our very own Brett Cooper, and more. We have the highly anticipated release of The Pendragon Cycle. We're bringing the legendary story of King Arthur to life like never before. Hopefully you've been watching the exclusive Pendragon Cycle video diaries the team has been releasing weekly. The series is going to be epic. You don't want to miss it. Daily Wire Plus memberships also unlock the Daily Wire's new kids app, Bent Key, at no extra charge. Enjoy over 20 titles and hundreds of episodes that are kid-friendly and age-appropriate, eliminating the need for pre-screening. And yes, Bent Key is where you'll be able to watch Snow White and the Evil Queen in 2024. Plus, so much more in the works that I can't even tell you about. But the best part is, you'll be joining us in the fight to take back and reshape the culture. This Christmas, give the gift of the Daily Wire Plus annual membership for 30% off. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and join today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Over a century ago, in the year 1906, about 40 years after the end of the Civil War, Secretary of War William Taft authorized the construction of a Civil War monument that would ultimately be completed and, and unveiled in the Arlington National Cemetery in 1914. And there it would stand for 110 years without causing any trouble, far from it. In fact, the monument was revered and beloved, so much so that for decades, every U.S. president, Republican and Democrat, would send a wreath to be laid at the site. Even Barack Obama participated in that tradition. Now, before I tell you more about this memorial, uh, including what it's called, let's fast forward to the current day. For 110 years, the memorial was honored by many Americans. To most, it was probably unknown. It sat there, harming no one, creating no problems of any kind, until right now. Over a century after the monument's construction, over a century and a half after the Civil War was fought, it has been decided all of a sudden that the memorial must come down. In fact, it so urgently must come down that we're told it's worth desecrating the hundreds of graves surrounding it in order to get rid of the thing. Fox News reports, quote, 
Despite efforts from a group of Republican lawmakers, a Confederate statue in the Arlington National Cemetery will be removed in the coming days. The Confederate statue is part of the push to remove military installations named after the Confederacy in the wake of the summer 2020 Black Lives Matter protests. According to a press release from the National Cemetery, the statue will be removed from the cemetery by December 22nd. The move to remove the statue is in compliance with the congressional mandate to remove all Confederate memorials by January 1st, 2024. The congressional mandate passed in 2020 declared that the Department of Defense must remove all names, symbols, displays, monuments, and paraphernalia that honor or commemorate the Confederate States of America by January 1st, 2024. An Arlington National Cemetery spokesperson confirmed to Fox News Digital that safety fencing has been installed around the Confederate memorial as preparations begin to deconstruct the memorial, which was erected in 1914. So, as part of the moral panic over the death of a criminal drug addict in 2020, this monument will be torn down. It's being done at the behest of the so-called Naming Commission, which was formed uh, according to the wishes of Elizabeth Warren, with the purpose of renaming or destroying all monuments or statues with ties to the Confederacy. And now is probably the best time to tell you the name of the statue. And it is not the Confederate statue, because it's not a statue meant to honor the Confederacy. In fact, it is called the Reconciliation Monument. It is literally a monument to reconciliation. It was designed to symbolize national unity in the wake of the Civil War. And that's not my interpretation of it, okay? This is the express, explicit purpose of the monument. It was commissioned specifically for this reason, as a sign that the country had moved on from the conflict, a sign that we were all countrymen again, a sign of reconciliation, hence the name. So we must ask, if the monument symbolized reconciliation, then what does its destruction symbolize? Now, don't worry, you you may feel disgusted and infuriated by this systematic campaign of desecration, this crusade to destroy our history by destroying some of our most beautiful and cherished works of art. You may find it repulsive and insane. You may wish that um, everyone involved uh, would be arrested and thrown in prison, which is what they deserve. And I may share all those feelings with you, but fear not. As the vice chair of the naming commission explained in a local news interview, they simply know better than you. And, and you should trust their judgment instead of your own. Watch. And if there's one thing that commemorates the Confederacy more than just about anything we've seen, it's this monument. Retired Brigadier General Ty Sigley, the vice chair of the Naming Commission, says the message the monument conveys is clear. Among the symbols, two figures of enslaved people and a Latin quote that translates to the victorious cause was pleasing to the gods, but the lost cause to Cato. And in a way, it's saying, that they were right, that the Confederates were right, and the United States is wrong. In 2020, Congress authorized the commission to review Confederate assets on military bases. Sigley says people should trust the bipartisan nature of the commission. So we have Republicans, Democrats, former military, defense intellectuals. We're a very diverse group in every way you would think that Americans are diverse, and yet we came together uh, to do this mission. There are plenty who oppose the recommendation, including Diane Brills, who was visiting from Florida. All history should be recognized, and that it should not be removed. But Sigley has a message for them. They're still going to teach the Battle of Chancellorsville at, at West Point, and Lee is still going to win every year. But But this is about commemoration, about our values. Yes, you see a very diverse group, establishment Republicans, establishment Democrats, former military, defense intellectuals. It is a varied mix of totally indistinguishable left-wing elitist bureaucrats. It's a diverse group that consists of swamp creatures, other types of swamp creatures, 
plus some other swamp creatures, and then to mix it up, additional swamp creatures. And this collection of soulless hobgoblins have simply decided that this beautiful, historically significant memorial is no longer consistent with our values. And by our, he means his. He has the moral values of a reptile, and commemorating all of those who died 150 years ago in the bloodiest war in our nation's history does not comport with his reptilian values. And so the memorial must come down. Now, it's worth noting one minor detail here, which is um, this is against the law. They do not have the legal authority to tear a monument out of the cemetery just because they don't personally like it. This violates both federal law and the legislative mandate that Congress gave itself when it formed the Naming Commission in 2020 in the first place. Despite how it may seem, these people don't actually have the legal authority to just do whatever the hell they want as long as they can cloak it in the guise of racial equity. There are laws in this country, allegedly, and they are once again being thrown to the side with little fanfare and almost no protest. But somehow the blatant lawlessness is not the most outrageous thing here. It's hard to say what the most outrageous thing is, as the whole thing is utterly repugnant and infuriating. Um, This is indeed a war on our history. It's also a war on other things. It's a war on beauty, for one. Aside from the historical significance of all the monuments that they're tearing down, these are also artistic masterpieces. You know, I don't know who coined this term, but I've heard these statue topplers uh, described as aesthetic terrorists. And there couldn't be a better description. They are indeed terrorists waging a jihad against beauty. But it is also a war on history. The The people conducting this war, they're not honest about it because they aren't honest about anything. But their agenda could not be more clear. They say that, you know, they they aren't erasing history because you can still read about the history in books. But what they don't tell you is that, first of all, they're also in the process of rewriting the books. As you've heard on this show, publishing companies have hired sensitivity readers to actually change the content and language of books in order to make them more sensitive. So so yes, you can read about the Battle of Chancellorsville in books uh, until you can't anymore. But second, even if they left the books alone, history is not supposed to be contained only in books. The whole point of having historic monuments and statues and artwork, the whole reason why every civilization in history has produced these things and revered them is that it helps people stay connected to their history in a way that simply reading about it can't. These are physical reminders of where we came from and, 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 and who got us to this point. Why do you think ancient societies without any modern technology spent decades painstakingly building giant monuments to their own historical heroes? Because they realized that you need to stay connected to your past and be reminded of it and have a spirit of humility and gratitude in the face of it. It's, it is that spirit that our elites want to extinguish. They want to create a society full of people who live in a historical vacuum severed from their past, detached from their future, lingering in a kind of nihilistic limbo where neither history nor legacy matter. That's the goal. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing, though, because at the same time, somewhat paradoxically, the people who seek to sever us from our history also want us to remain stuck in it. Now, they don't want us to honor our history or commemorate it or memorialize it or learn from it, or least of all, understand it. But they do want us to retain historical resentment and guilt. Okay? That is the one part of our history that they wish to keep intact. That's how we've ended up with this bizarre situation where people today, 
in the waning days of the year 2023 somehow act as though the wounds of the Civil War are fresher for them than they were for people who lived 100 years ago. Back then, people were ready to be reconciled. They, they had put the resentment to the side. They were capable of seeing the dignity and heroism of men who fought on both sides. They nearly universally respected both Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Ulysses S. Grant. I mean, these were people who, who, had, who had living relatives who fought in the war. These were people who lost family members at Antietam and, and Gettysburg. These were people who, who had actual, literal, physical wounds from the Civil War. And yet, they were somehow able to recognize the dignity and courage of the men who died on either side. And they wanted to be unified as a country again. So, like, they were much more connected to the Civil War, and yet a lot less upset about it in a certain way. So, so how is it that we, a century later, have apparently more resentment and more anger stemming from the event that the people who lived through the event didn't even have? Our parents didn't fight in this war. Our grandparents didn't fight in it. Our grandparents' parents didn't fight in it. And yet it's our generation that is apparently still so upset that we can't stand to see Robert E. Lee's name on a building. And we can't stand to know that there are Confederate graves at Arlington. Our grandparents didn't feel that way, but we do. How does that make any sense? Well, it doesn't make sense. It's total nonsense. But it's all part of the agenda. It's not an accident. It's a situation that our elites have intentionally set up. They have successfully created a society filled with people who know nothing of their history, do not honor it, do not remember it, don't know anything about it, and yet still hang on to its anger and its hatreds and its resentments. People, you know, who couldn't even tell you who was president in 1961, and yet who at the same time act like they are deeply hurt by things that happened in 1861. People who could not tell you what happened 40 years ago, and yet who act wounded by things that happened 400 years ago. People detached from all aspects of the past except for its grudges, which they cling to desperately. That's the kind of country the elites wanted to create, and they have. And of course, in such a country, we cannot have anything called the Reconciliation Monument, because reconciliation is the very last thing that they want. And that's why it was taken down. And it's why those statue topplers are, once again, with a vengeance, canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.